Blue Wire. Osweiler in trouble. Osweiler brought down Khalil Mack. Oh, here comes Bullshot. Griffin without a helmet. J.J. Watt will always put his fingerprints on a game. Steps up, and he's going to be hit from the side, and he's going down. That's a sack. Darius Leonard, the maniac. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Trench Warfare Podcast presented by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Brandon Thorne. You can follow me at Twitter, at Brandon Thorne NFL. And we have a really cool show today. Uh, week one is almost in the books. We still have Monday Night Football to go tonight. But we had a really, really good slate of action yesterday, I think. I mean, I was watching football all day, and I'm sitting here now clicking through, waiting for the All-22 to drop so I can actually watch these offensive and defensive lines play. I plan on going over every game this week, just like I did last season. Um, so what I try and do during the season is I watch every game every week at least once and I focus on the offensive lines of every team and in that process I obviously see a lot of other guys flash and I'll tag the quarter the game the the time I'll, I'll put a time stamp in my notes for whatever plays whatever players stand out to me and then I'll go back and I'll review their performance individually as and do as many guys as I can. So that's kind of the way that I do it through the season. And then once the season's over, of course, I go back and watch all the games again. Really, uh, And then I really kind of tailor my process at that point to focus on certain units, certain players, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, if you really want to see how these offensive lines played and you want to see the film and what stands out to me, make sure you follow me on Twitter at BrandonThorneNFL. I'm going to be highlighting all the games this week, or at least most of them. And uh, I already just did today the Bears and Packers from Thursday night. Showed, showed a few things there that really stood out to me, a few players. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's a big thing that I try and do with my Twitter account is shine light on offensive and defensive linemen who are making plays, who are doing well, executing their assignments, and showing the high-level traits that, that um, you know, you, you want to see from, from those positions, things that can really translate to su- sustained success. Um, so yeah, yeah. Make sure you, you know, follow me on there. Um, but I didn't want to go too far into this week just yet because I have an interview, uh, coming up here in a, sh- uh, shortly with Ross Tucker. And, uh, if you don't, if you're not familiar with Ross, he played in the NFL, uh, offensive lineman, went to Princeton, uh, bounced around a few teams, was a journeyman player, uh, but was, you know, managed to carve out a role as sort of a sixth offensive lineman. Um, for for a lot of years there, um, and he does a variety of things now. Hosts a bunch of podcasts and does color color commentary, uh, writes for the Athletic, a bunch of other stuff. He he explains it in the podcast. So, um, but there was a lot of uh, I think really cool insight from a from a player's perspective on the position in this interview. Um, but f- before we get to that, I just want to kick it over to this ad read for Indochino. So every guy looks better and feels more confident when he puts on a suit. There's one problem, though. Guys keep buying generic suits off the rack. That's why Blue Wire is pumped to partner with Indochino for an amazing deal on a new suit. Indochino is the world's leading made-to-measure menswear company. 
They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. If you're looking to get married, they have tons of options for those looking to outfit their wedding party. It's easy to get started. Visit a stylist at one of Indochino's 40 showrooms in North America and have them take your measurements personally or measure at your home yourself and shop online at Indochino.com. This week, Trench Warfare listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE, for any premium suit for just $369 and free shipping. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Once you go custom, you don't go back. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, when you're betting, it's just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, and you get paid. All right, everybody, I'm here with the athletics Ross Tucker. Uh, Ross played in the NFL for seven years. Uh, he also does some uh, announcing for the Eagles. Um, he's he, he's worked in a variety of different arenas, I think, in, in the football space. He hosts a, really, a couple really great podcasts as well. Um, I'll let him speak about those here in a second. But, but Ross, uh, thanks for being on the show. And uh, could you just tell people before we get started kind of like what you have going on and where they can find your work? Of course. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Brandon. You know I'm a huge fan of your work and really think that you have separated yourself and distinguished yourself as arguably the premier O-line guy out there, certainly on social media and the stuff you're doing for EstablishTheRun.com. Uh, so I'm actually right now in Houston, Texas. I'll be doing calling the Wake Forest at Rice game tonight uh, for CBS Sports Network as we record this on a Friday. Not sure when you're posting this or not, Brandon, but we're recording it on a Friday, so I'll be doing Rice and Wake. By the way, very interesting. Rice, kind of like Stanford, Brandon. It's a lot of uh, two-back stuff. It's a lot of two-and-three tight end stuff, extra offensive lineman stuff, which is really fun for me because – Seemingly everybody else in college football does the same thing. So to do Army games or even Rice games, I love. Wake Forest has a really different style where their offensive linemen really don't even fire off the ball. And they are uh, they have the longest mesh point I think I've ever seen. They are trying to almost legislate the Le'Veon Bell patience in the backfield for Wake Forest. It's really, really interesting to watch on tape. So I like that. You know, I, I like seeing things different yeah. that I haven't seen before. Um, you mentioned I did Eagles games on television. I've got a new show every day, 8 to 11 a.m. Eastern time on the radio.com app called Home and Home, which is great. I've been doing podcasts forever. Ross Tucker football podcast is daily. So if you want a former player's 
thoughts on everything going on in the NFL in 30 minutes or less. You can check out that. And if you're into gambling, I've got the Even Money podcast. If you're into fantasy, I've got the Fantasy Feast podcast, which obviously Evan Silva was on for years and years. And then if you really like college ball and you like to draft, I've got the College Draft podcast with Matt Waldman. I'll be doing games for Westwood One, and I think that's about it. CBS Sports Network, Westwood One, Home and Home, on the Radio.com app, all the podcasts. I, you mentioned earlier I write for The Athletic. So it's a long-winded way of me saying, Brandon, I am trying to avoid a real job like the plague. And so far, so good, man. I've had a pretty good run so far. I'm 40 and still haven't had to get one yet. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, you you have a lot going on, and I think that's just so cool that you're you have you know so many things out there right now, and you're producing so much work. And you know, I think a lot of people listening they may not know sort of your background, which I think is fascinating as well. And I kind of wanted to start there and then work our way up here. Um, so, you know, I, I believe you played for four NFL teams, and you played all five positions at one point or another, and you had nine different offensive line coaches in your time in the NFL. Um, so I think that that's fascinating in of itself. And I wanted to, and you went to Princeton, you, I believe you started at a defensive end, you moved to right guard, and then you played there for most of your college career before getting into the NFL. So you have a wide uh, variety of experience um, in your background as an offensive lineman. So can you just talk a little bit about the the nine different offensive line coach thing and 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 what that was like adjusting to that many different philosophies and how you were able to continually stick for as long as you did sure and that was really the difficulty therein so yeah man i'm from reading pennsylvania an hour west of philly and uh i was very much a late bloomer only 210 pounds as a junior in high school so my my offers were all fcs offers and some of them were actually to play defense William and Mary in Delaware gave me full scholarships and then Princeton and Harvard, uh, gave, offered me spots as well. So I went to Princeton, you, you referenced the college career. NFL was interesting because I only played guard at Princeton. I get to the NFL and they moved me to right tackle. So, you know, guard in the Ivy league to tackle in the NFL, my first one-on-ones were against LeVar Arrington. So it, that was a, a wake up call right away. And then my second year, they actually taught me how to play center. Even that first year, they started to teach me how to do snaps because they knew I, I could pick things up quickly. I got by for the most part, Brandon, on two things, which I think are critically important for any football player, but especially a pro football player, especially an NFL offensive lineman. And that is my uh, toughness. And that's both mental and physical toughness. You got to be smart and you got to be tough and you have to be athletic enough. I was probably uh, average to below average on the athleticism scale, uh, but very high end in terms of the toughness and the football IQ, which, by the way, is different than, you know, your IQ going to school. Now, is there a correlation at times? Yeah, but I know guys that were terrible academically that knew everything about football and vice versa. You know, there are guys from Princeton that got opportunities in the NFL. And the reason that they got cut is because they couldn't pick up the offense. You know, the football intelligence part of it didn't come easily to them. So 
you know, it's kind of hindsight's twenty twenty. There's nothing you can do about it, but it's not conducive to having an NFL career to play for that many teams or that many offensive line coaches. I certainly learned a lot of different philosophies, a lot of different techniques, and that's helpful. But like anything in life, you're going to get better at it the more you do it. So to go from Joe Pendry as a rookie and, and his philosophy on how to do things to Kim Helton with Steve Spurrier in my second year, just a, it was a big difference. Um, and even schematically, it was a big difference. Like I, I'm convinced, Brandon, that if Marty Schottenheimer hadn't gotten fired, I would have started that next year in 02 for the Redskins. And I think I would have been a very productive player in his system. So much uh, strong side power, so much weak side lead ISO. And that really suited my game. Uh, but that wasn't yeah. the case. You know, we went to Spurrier and we were running scat protection, you know, 40 times a game, which I just could not hold up one-on-one pass protection. That was always my weakness. I have really short arms. And uh, I don't have great feet. So uh, extended one-on-one pass protection was never really my strength. It is interesting, though, to, you know, my rookie year, they moved me out to right tackle. And then um, the, the backups at left tackle kept messing up mentally. So they moved me to left tackle, who had only ever played right guard at Princeton with like, I don't know, 32-inch arms or whatever I have. They're not long. And I'm playing left tackle. And I'll, I'll tell you one quick story that's amazing Yeah, is, you know, I didn't play in the first preseason game because I, I partially tore my MCL. And this is my rookie year. I partially tore my MCL. So I didn't go to the first preseason game, didn't play in it. The next week, they moved me to left tackle because the guy they had played at left tackle had two mental errors and the quarterback got killed. So they move me to left tackle because they know that I at least always know what I'm doing, which is a really, really important point to make about pro football. Coaches don't want to put guys in if they can't trust them. And if you don't know what you're going to do, they can account for um, physical weaknesses. They can't account for mental errors. And if you, you know, in, in that preseason game against the Chiefs, I did not play in, it was a strip sack. They returned it for a touchdown, and the quarterback got hurt. So you lose a game because of that. You lose a quarterback because of that. You just can't have it. You you cannot have that. So they moved me to left tackle, and I could barely push off my right knee, you know, because I just sprained my MCL. I was out for 10 days. So I asked if I could move back to right tackle so I could push off my left knee, and they're like, no, you'll be fine. I thought, okay. Well, this is crazy. I'm scheduled to play the second half, Brandon, against the Atlanta Falcons in the second preseason game, which is my first. I've never played in front of more than 30,000 people, never played in NFL stadium, never played against a division one player, any of that stuff. Wow. And so I'm standing there, I think six plays into the game, Chris Samuels, our starting left tackle gets hurt. And I just kind of stand there because I think, well, they're not going to put me in with the starters. They're going to have one of the guys competing for starting right guard, Matt Campbell or Ben Coleman both of whom have a lot of experience at left tackle in the league, they're going to put one of those guys out at left tackle. I'm just standing there. Schottenheimer looks at me and says, get in there. (laughs) So I run into the huddle. Brandon, I ran into the huddle, and I look in the huddle. Jeff George is the quarterback. Steven Davis is our running back. 
Yeah. Michael Westbrook and Kevin Lockett are the receivers. Uh, Steven Alexander is the tight end. The offensive line is like Dave Zott and, um, you know, Corey Raymer, John Jansen, John Matt Jansen. Campbell. I mean, these are guys I had been watching on TV for years, years, and now I'm in the huddle with them, like in a real game. And I look over at Atlanta, and the Falcons had just been in the Super Bowl in 99. So I look over, and it is Patrick Kearney hmm. and Brady Smith and Travis Hall and Shane Drenette, and they're all, they all look to me like they're 6'6", 290, with like rippled abs and bulging <laughs> biceps. And I am thinking, holy crap, this is, this is crazy. So right. I say to Jeff, so we, we do the first snap. And, and Brady Smith just jacks me up. And I go back in the huddle and I say to Jeff George, who, by the way, it was like year 13 for Jeff George. He had no interest in getting hurt in this game, right? He knows <laughs> I'm at left tackle now. I can't even push off my right knee, Brandon. So I look at Jeff and I say, hey, Jeff, I will not get beat inside and I will not get run over. But it's going to be a tight corner. Because Brady <laughs> Smith wasn't really a speed guy. So I, in my mind, I was going to set him hard and firm on his inside armpit and right. not get run over, not get beat inside, but it was going to be a short corner. It's hilarious because you watch the tape because I have that game and Jeff George was dropping back to five yards and throwing it like two and a half because <laughs> he had no interest in getting hurt because some Princeton undrafted rookie was out there at left tackle. His dropbacks and throws are hilarious, but he appreciated what I told him. Like I told him, I told him what was going to happen. Right. So I end up playing and I end up playing and playing. Okay. And then they keep me in third quarter. Then it's fourth quarter. And I'm going into a guy named Chuck Wiley. Um, I believe it's either Chuck Wiley or Chuck Smith, who's really good with his hands. And I go to punch him. And early in the fourth quarter, and he does like a like a, a left hand uh, left hand chop, right hand chop. He did like a double chop, like almost like a karate move, right? And all I know is my hand's killing me. And I say to the dude next to me who's from Michigan, I'm thinking, okay, Michigan, you know, played five years. He probably knows more about this than me. I, I think I just dislocated my finger. And he's like, you got to pop it back in. So I'm trying to pop it back in, Brandon, and all I feel is crunching as I try to pop it back in. So I've got two more plays. I keep my left hand, which is killing me, holstered down by my hip, and I'm at left tackle, so I just stick my right hand out there and one arm stab the guy the next two plays and somehow get it done with only one hand. I come off the field. They tell me I'm out of the game because they think maybe I did something to my shoulder. I tell them, no, I hurt my hand. I take my glove off. And my bone on my fourth hand, not my finger, but the hand itself was sticking through the skin. Holy crap. So I knew I broke my hand right away. So I played two snaps with a broken hand, which is fine. What's not fine is trying to pop it back in because you think it's dislocated. That hurt like hell. Um, so that was it, man. That was my, that was my first stint in pro football ever crazy. but just the fact that i played with the torn mcl and everything I, I ended up making the team they kept me as the ninth offensive lineman and uh yes and, and then i you know and that was a long-winded story but i thought it was a good one i ended up playing for a bunch of different teams 
bunch of different offensive line coaches. You know, I, I honestly believe that if I had played for, if I had 32 different careers, right? I think in at least 10 of them, I just get cut that first training camp and never play pro football. But I also think that in some of them, I'm in the right system at the right time. Maybe I'm in Indy with Peyton Manning, or maybe I'm in New England with Brady. And I think I probably could have been a starter, especially center or left guard. I think I could have started and been a solid starter in the NFL. But what happens is once you have Spurrier come in and you know, you're throwing scat protection all the time and then you get cut and then you start to bounce around and it's a different scheme. You know, it's, it's a different technique. It's really hard to master what those coaches want to do. And I wasn't a great player. I wasn't Jason Peters or David DeCastro where the coach would say, Hey, tuck, do whatever technique works for you. No, 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 no. They wanted me to do their technique. So every stop I went to Brandon, I'm spending so much time trying to change what I just had done 10,000 times to try to perfect it with the previous guy. And now I'm trying to do what the new guy wants. And it's just, it's not conducive to success, unfortunately. Um, And so I kind of bounced around. The reason why I was able to bounce around is because um, I was reliable. You know, I would not be the reason why you would lose a game. You probably always would have preferred a more physically gifted guy in there, but I could hold it down at, you know, I have at least five starts at center in both guards. In preseason games, I played right tackle and left tackle. So my niche was, I think, for a few years there, I, I think I was the best sixth man or swing inside guy in the NFL, which is really important. You need a guy that can play center in both guards because you only dress seven guys on game day, as I know you know. And I could mm-hmm. even be your emergency tackle and be able to hold it down. You know, it wouldn't be real pretty, but we could maybe get through the game there. So that was kind of uh, kind of my niche. But then after I started 13 games for the Bills in 04, went 9-4 and four in those games, I had a back surgery, got hurt a couple more times in camp, so they cut me, and I never uh, started another regular season game after that. Uh, it's, it's tough, man. It's a tough, very tough league. If you're kind of, you know, in the middle, like I was, and like I said, especially when you're switching techniques, every stop. Yeah. And I, I think it brings up a few interesting points. I think that the majority of careers in the NFL for offensive linemen probably mirror yours to some degree. I mean, you know, I, I talk to, and I talk about, you know, most people talk about these, these starters who have been playing a long time and, you know, in one spot and things like that. But I mean, the reality is NFL careers are what, like four years on average and, um, you know, offensive line. I mean, it's one of those positions where it's very difficult to find those guys that are, you're able to just sort of plug in and just not worry about. So I think that that's relatable to probably more people than anything. And, um, at least offensive linemen that are, you know, maybe listening to this and, uh, you know, I think that in today's NFL, there is a lot of value in guys in that sort of role, the sixth, seventh offensive lineman, because, I mean, depth in the NFL right now at offensive line is just, I think, severely lacking, especially, you know, the further outside you go. Um, so those sixth and seventh offensive linemen are, you know, critical to team success as the season wears on. And, and that kind of brings me to some of these offensive lines, you know, today that I think are 
maybe the factor that's going to hold some really good teams back as the season progresses. I look at the Chargers and the Browns as two examples of, you know, they have all this talent, you know, quarterbacks that are really good and, you know, defenses that are really good. But, I mean, come playoff time, you know, if you're entering the year as a below-average offensive line or worse, and when playoff time comes around and guys are nicked up and, you know, maybe a, a backup is in and things like that, I think that could really derail the season. So, you know, what do you think about those two teams and just sort of, you know, the the value of that sixth offensive lineman, especially in today's NFL? Yep, I think it's I think it's a really good point. And um, I, I'll make a couple points there. One is that those teams are weak at right guard and left tackle. And that's a real problem. You know, a lot of teams, even if they try not to be, they're still very right-handed, right-hand dominant, which means the co- the coordinator is calling 72 project uh, protection or two jet, whatever they call it, but they're sliding the line to the left. They're sliding the line of the quarterback's backside, which means there's a lot of one-on-ones for the right guard. That is not a position where you want to have a guy that could be a liability like the Cleveland Browns. It, it really is right. problematic. And I think – to have a liability, potential liability on both sides of the line. You know, if both of your liabilities are on the same side, you can try to manipulate the protections as much as possible to slide that way. But if there's one on each, you you really can't slide to both, which I think is interesting. Um, And to your point, I used to always say, and this is, I guess this is more anecdotal than anything else, but your six offensive linemen, I think it's probably going to end up starting eight games on average. And your seventh guy is probably going to end up starting about four games. Now there are teams where every guy stays healthy, but there's also teams where a guy goes down in week three. And so, you know, kind of like me in 04, the guys, the backup comes in and starts 13 games, right? So you really need to make sure that your sixth and seventh guys can really play and, you know, the Browns, I'm not even sure their fifth guy uh, can play, let alone their sixth and seventh guys. So that's right. a major, major issue. You know, that doesn't mean they can't do it, but they do not have Super Bowl caliber offensive lines, and they definitely don't have Super Bowl caliber depth. I mean, you look at teams like the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Patriots, who, by the way, their depth is a little in question right now at offensive line. You need to you need to know that in the playoffs you're going to have several backups in there, and you don't really know what position it's going to be at, but it's going to be somewhere, and you better hope that those guys are are talented enough to hold it down for you. And I don't think the Chargers or the Browns have you know Super Bowl caliber offensive lines or depth. Yeah, that's what worries me. I mean, the Browns did make a couple of trades. They traded for Justin McCray from the Packers and Wyatt Teller from the Bills to help, you know, sort of, you know, have a couple fill-ins there. But and then, you know, the Chargers. I mean, with Russell Okun going down, you know, with his with his health issues, uh, they haven't really tried to address it, which is is really weird to me. I mean, I I would think that they would try to make some sort of trade for for even you know backup caliber guys, but I don't know. It'll be interesting uh, to see there for sure and. I know you probably got to get running here, so I'll let you go. I, I definitely would like to talk more. Uh, maybe I can get you on in the future, and we can uh, you know, kind of go around a little bit more to some different topics. But I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. 
Brandon, it's my pleasure. I know it took us a little while to connect. I will come on anytime. I love the stuff you post on social media. I love what you're writing at Establish the Run and at The Athletic. Love this podcast. And absolutely, man, sometimes we can just go through it and talk about the nine different offensive line coaches and the different philosophies they had. Because it was, you know, Joe Bugle and Jim McNally and Dante Scarnecchia and some of the real legends. And and what's so interesting about it is they have really different philosophies. So that's a tease for the next time I come on, everybody. Um, But thank you for having me, Brandon. If, If you guys enjoyed it, please check out my podcasts, including the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. And I'm definitely coming on this show again and definitely want to have you on my show sometime soon also, Brandon. All right, Ross, it sounds like a plan. All right, take care.